We have before us here a story, chapter 9, of a man who was paralyzed on a cot, on a mat. It's one of the more famous stories in the scripture, um, and it runs in line of Matthew's theme and objective of showing how Jesus addressed different groups, different people, in different situations always with the master and the authority of a king. That's what Matthew's theme is, that Jesus is our king. Now, I want to introduce to you to some thoughts. Perhaps I might be foreign to you, perhaps not. But the Gospels, as we look at them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially the first three, that we call them the synoptic Gospels because we set them side by side by side. The Gospels were not written in chronological order. In other words, the story, as we see in some occasions, chronologically happened. He left from one place and went to another. But overall, the Gospels were written not with a chronological order. They they were written in the order that the author, here being Matthew, decided to put the stories in the positions that he did for purposes. Every author of the Gospels, all four, have what they call a thematic emphasis. They have a theme. Matthew's is the king. That's why we have that on the wall, the Bach, because we're in the Bach series. Behold our king. And when Matthew opens up, he has the Sermon on the Mount where the king gives the edicts of the kingdom in teaching And then he comes down off the mount and he encounters a series of people. Um, Last week it was the two demons, or the two demonic men, men who were possessed of the devil. He dealt and healed people that were oppressed of the devil. He dealt with with, uh, Peter's mother-in-law who was sick of a fever, just a simple sick of a fever. And here we have, in Matthew's account, a man who was paralyzed, who is brought to Jesus by others. Now, I say this as an introduction because I want you to notice that we're going to be introduced to Matthew, the the tax collector, right after this story. Right after this story, we'll have Levi, or Matthew, coming to Jesus Christ. Now, this probably wasn't the chronological order because in the gospel of mark matthew coming to jesus was way before the storm at sea that was a couple weeks ago but matthew chooses to put his account of his life of coming to jesus after this paralyzed man i think he does it for a very specific reason because he saw himself as paralyzed he saw himself unable to come to jesus Now, I want you to look down at Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to tell you something that I would never advise you to do. I'm going to tell you something that happened to me and something I saw years ago that I do not recommend at all. It was well over 40 years ago that I came to Christ, and I was a brand new Christian, and um, I was over in Spain, and I was going to make my first trip back over the Atlantic. I'd obviously gone on the Navy ship over the Atlantic to Europe, and I was now headed back, a young Christian, 
and I was very anxious about the trip over the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm not a, normally an anxious kind of guy. I don't fret and worry about a lot of things. But for some reason, fear had gripped me. So as a young believer, I did something that I'm not going to recommend to you, but I want to tell you the story anyway because it's an interesting and fun story. I did the finger thing in the Bible. You ever done that where you just said, Lord, give me something. Lord, give me something. And you just kind of do this. So I said, Lord, I'm scared of going over the Atlantic Ocean, and I really don't know why. So I put my finger in it opened. I'm telling you, my eyes latched on to chapter 9, verse 1. Take a look at it with me. Chapter 9, verse 1 says this. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Now that's terrible interpretation of Scripture. Scripture was never given, in this case, to give me comfort going over the Atlantic. The sea that we're talking about is the Galilean Sea, the Sea of Galilee. It was way back then. That's horrible uh, exegetical work. It's, it's horrible interpretation. But I'm telling you, it made me feel better. And I can't tell you to this day if that was the Lord or wasn't the Lord. I just know it made me. But don't do that. Don't do the finger thing where you stick it in there and say, Lord, give me something. Because you usually pull it out. Anyway, don't do it. But I did it. And it made me feel better. So, okay. Got to tell you that story because I can't look at chapter 9 of Matthew without thinking about that. Chapter 9, verse 1. Notice it says he got into a boat. Which is really interesting because back in chapter 8, eight, yeah, yeah, back of the chapter 8, verse 23, it says, and when he had gotten into the boat, well, the, the boat is Peter's fishing boat. That was Peter's boat. But now we have Jesus getting into a boat, which is kind of interesting because they just left the two demonic men on, on the coastline of the Gadarenes. So it just makes me curious whether they got back in Peter's boat or if he got into another boat called the boat or a boat. Makes me wonder, and I just speculate a little bit, whether Peter stayed behind or whether the disciples were so shook up. I don't know. It's just, just a thought. There were thousands of these fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee, and he just chose a boat to get into it. Verse 1. So he got into a boat, and he crossed over and came to his own... I love preaching when the thunder's rolling. It just makes me feel more powerful up here. I don't know what it is. Ah, bring it on, Lord. Notice he came into his own city. His own city is not Nazareth that he was born in. Uh, it is believed that he made Capernaum his own city. Uh, for 30 years he lived in Nazareth taking care of his mother. But now in ministry, he moves out of Nazareth. And many of you have had that occasion where you've lived in one place a long time. You've moved somewhere else, and that's your new home. Well, this was his new city. And how blessed Capernaum was, this little fishing town uh, on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, to have the Son of God make it his own city. In fact, later on in ministry, he's going to look back and go, woe to this and woe to that. And he's going to say, woe to Capernaum. Because I did some... Incredible things there. But he made it his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralegic lying on a bed. Now Matthew doesn't tell us, but Mark tells us that the man was carried by four people. 
He was carried by four men. We don't know their names. We don't know who they are. But they were four men who cared about this one man. Because when they brought him, stay focused, when they brought him to the house where Jesus was teaching, and again, probably Peter's house, they tried to get in, but there were so many people pressed into that house, they couldn't get in. So rather than just say, well, it's just not the Lord's will today for you to get to Jesus. They were bulldogs about the whole thing. That's good, isn't it? You know, there's, there's people that are just bulldog evangelists, and I appreciate it. I, I saw one at a restaurant, my old friend Bill Tyler, who's a pastor here in town. He really needs to be an evangelist because he's just, and I could hear him halfway across. Well, he was just a couple doors down at Crackle Barrel on another table, but he was talking to some guy about winning somebody to Jesus. And I thank God for men like that. I remember as a 19-year-old sailor sitting down with a, a Navy chief, and I said, Chief, I want to get baptized. He said, well, Gaylor, are you sure you're saved? He said, yeah. I told him, yeah, I'm saved, Chief. Oh, he said, are you sure you're saved? And I said, well, yeah, I'm sure. And he started asking me a series of questions. And he wouldn't lay off of me. And he just kept asking. And he, if I was saved that day, he got me lost. <laughs> no, I, I realized by the Holy Spirit, I wasn't really saved. But that old chief, he wouldn't let me go with those questions until it prodded way down deep. And these four men would not take no for an answer. If you had somebody in your life sharing Jesus with you, and they wouldn't let you go, thank God for them. Until they got to the core of it. And they got up on the roof. These are not big houses. They're small little houses. The roof is right there. And they pull this thatch branches off and they lowered him down. Matthew tells us nothing about that, but Mark does. Now why doesn't Matthew tell us something about that? Because his theme is Jesus the King, and for some reason he didn't want to put that part in because thematically it didn't match what he wanted to write. But it happened. Verse 2, and behold, some men brought to him a crippled, just on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, Notice not only the faith of the man laying paralyzed, but the faith of the four men who brought him. He saw it. And I ask you the question this morning, how can you see faith? Faith is an invisible thing in, in the heart, is it not? I suggest to you that we can see faith. We see it in the actions of people. We see it in the responses of people. We see it in the decisions of people in their lives, whether they believe Jesus Christ or they don't. The very fact that you chose to come out here today is an, is, is an illustration that you believe when you got here, you'd hear something about Jesus Christ that may change your life. It's the evidence that you're here. is is a, is a visual that you believe. And these four men believe that they just could get their friend to Jesus Christ. I had a friend tell me just recently about a family member of hers who was sick and, 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 and had lost a toe and they're thinking about taking his leg off. And she looked at me and says, you know, this, this family member's been mean all their lives, been hateful all their lives. And when someone's that cruel and hateful as this dear lady told me, I, I asked her, I said, what happened in her life? 
Because something happened along the way, usually to turn someone that dark. And this is what she said to me. When he was a little boy, his mother told him over and over and over again, you were an accident, you were a mistake, I never meant to have you. And crippled that boy inside, creating a mean and angry man who is now deathly ill and sick and dying. I share that because look at Jesus' response to the crippled man. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Come on, man, the guy's laying on a mat. He can't get up. That's not his need. Tell him to get up and walk. That's the right thing. Maybe that's the thing the four expected to hear. They wanted a simple healing is what they wanted. And Jesus, watch this, he saw deeper to the core of the man's needs and reached into the primary thing before he touched the secondary thing. The problems in our lives are not the exteriors, which what's inside. And before Jesus healed him physically, he would heal him spiritually. He would forgive him, which is the greatest need of the human heart, is it not? I'm telling you, the guilt that people carry, the self-condemnation that people carry, cripples them and also at times affects their physical life and causes them to be sick. Proverbs says, bitterness is like rottenness in the bones. Maybe not always the cause of bone or, or bone cancer, but this person's spirit many times, not all the time, but many times affects the physical nature of that person. Listen carefully to what I'm saying and to what I'm not saying. Sometimes there's illness and sickness through nothing. But many times in people's lives, there's sickness because there's interior spiritual sickness. And Jesus says, my son, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. Well, everybody should have been happy, but they weren't. Look at verse 3. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this was not anything outward and verbal, this was simply something they thought. This man is blaspheming. Now, they were absolutely correct in their ascension. If Jesus was just a man, he was blaspheming. Because only God can forgive sin. Only God. No man can do that. So if he was just a man, he was blaspheming. Notice Jesus' response, but Jesus knowing their thoughts. Now, knowing their thoughts, what does that mean? Well, he could have, obviously, he's omniscient. He knows all. He could have known their thoughts. But I don't take it to be that deep and spiritual at this point. I think he saw their faces. You ever seen somebody, somebody's face and knew exactly what they were thinking? Years ago, I had a, a, a gentleman sit way in the back, and uh, I was preaching a point. And I see your faces, so don't try to hide. You're looking at me. I can see your faces. And he was back there, and I preached this, that all your problems are not out there. They're in here. They're in here. And he was on the back, and literally, this was his face. 
I mean waving it from side to side with a scowl on his face. I thought, man, you need some more of this preaching right here. They saw their faces. He saw their faces, and he knew what they were thinking. So, you know what I love about our Savior? He never looked away. He always addressed the issue. He never walked away. He could have said, you guys are worthless, man. Let's just go party with those who believe me. But Jesus wanted to reach these guys. He wanted to reach out. He wanted to confront them. And look what he says. Why do you think evil in your hearts? Wow. Why do you, why is it so evil to you that number one, this man can be forgiven? Or that I can do that? Then he asked another question, verse five. For which is easier? Your sins are for, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? That's a good question, isn't it? And it's a question with a two-edged sword. It can be answered in one of two ways depending on which way you're looking at it. Follow what he asked them because he asked them a profound question that if, if answered one way, revealed one side of them. If answered the other way, revealed the other. Listen carefully. If, if Jesus said, if you're looking at me like I was just a human being, like a man, then it's much easier just to say your sins are forgiven. It's really hard to say rise and walk. But if you understand who I am, the Son of God. If you understand that, then this. In order for me to say your sins are forgiven, I will have to pay for those sins on a cross. It is easier to say rise and walk than to say your sins are forgiven because I've got to pay for your sins on a cross. Do you see the two different, two-edged sword? And he's asking them, who am I? That was his question to them. I don't hear an answer from them. Do you? <laughs> There's nothing they say. They can't answer it. They don't know. And look what he does. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he turns. He said to the paralegic, rise. Pick up your bed. Go home. <laughs> what a moment. What a moment. What, what a time in that little house with those 30 people watching. The roofs, the whole Bible study was messed up with the roof coming off and there he comes and you got these, by the way, Mark or Luke, one of them says that, that scribes and Pharisees from Galilee and Judea and all the surrounding areas, they were there like a pack of wolves in the back. They were lined up in the back just waiting for something to criticize. And here's this man whose sins have been forgiven and he gets up off of that bed and he looks at those guys and he walks out of that house. 
You talk about, you talk about it just breaking into a party. You talk about the celebratory spirit. You talk about people shouting and, and clapping and going nuts. And, 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 and here's the scribes and Pharisees just kind of walking out the side door. Notice what it says. It says, and he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they feared. They were afraid. They feared and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. That's a powerful moment, isn't it? He forgave the man his sins and he gave the man back his body. Behold the power of the king. Behold the power of our king. Behold the forgiveness that he offers through the blood of Jesus Christ to you. Behold the complete forgiveness that you can never, you, 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 there's, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, when I first got saved, uh, for the first eight months of my Christian life, I was on that ship with my friends, and we were singing, I'll fly away, and, 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 and is there power, that there's power in the blood, and we were having Bible studies, and we were rejoicing, and we were witnessing, and then we all came home and joined a church and had all the, the wind sucked out of us. We were told you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to go here and you got to say that and definitely don't go there and don't do this. And, and I was given law and all the life got taken out of me and it became a religion for a lot of years until I finally got fed up and I understood that the Christian life is all of grace and none of law and now I walk in the power of his life and I walk forgiven, forgiven. And I am perfect, we are perfect in Jesus Christ. And we walk with no condemnation down here, in here. And we have joy. I had a dear Christian saint tell me recently with tears coming out of her eyes that I've condemned myself my whole life and I'm not doing it anymore. Either we're fully forgiven or we're on probation. And I've rejected all of that. I'm with the group that's glorifying God. So, I don't have three fancy points. I don't have illustrations to back all this up. I'm just here to, to close this out. By the way, uh, sermons can be looked at like, like uh, airplane rides. You know, you got your introduction where you kind of take off. You get everybody with you, you know, you're in a plane. And, and what's, what's good of a plane ride if everybody's still on the ground? So you got to get them on the plane. You get up there, and, and you open the windows, and you show them different things. And then you got the landing, right? You got the, the closing thing. And that's going to be a rough closing today. <laughs> I got a feeling we're going to slide off the tarmac right into the St. John's River, you know? Here we go. This is a good time to tell you that your offerings and gifts to this church have paid $6,000 to put a system on this building that is supposed to take that electrical charge and put it down on the ground. Did you know that? There's a company in Orlando. Thank God for your giving. And now I'm so far away from the sermon, I don't know how I'm going to get back. But, but, but my, sermons, my sermons traditionally take you in that plane and then crash you into the ground. They're horrible endings to my sermon. They're terrible. 
So I want to tell you just a couple things in closing about this story and what it means to me, and that will be our landing, okay, as rough as it may be. Only Jesus Christ can change a man's life. If you have a friend who's suffering and hurting, get him to Jesus. You can't do anything for him, but you can take him to Jesus. He's the answer to all of life. He's the answer to your need to be forgiven because he shed his blood on the cross to forgive you. If you've never come to Christ today, I'd like to be like that old bulldog chaplain or that old bulldog chief in the Navy. I don't want to let you go until you know that you know that you know Christ is your Savior. Because you need him. Because without him there is all eternity in a lake of fire. There is a hell. And without Christ, men spend eternity in that lake of fire. But there's no need. Christ has died for all of us to bring us to Christ. So if you don't know Christ, come to him today. And second of all, if you know Jesus Christ... Don't stay on that mat. Just get up and walk. Walk in the freedom of Christ who lives inside of you. 